What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program. Once again, if this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support the podcast in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, giving the podcast five stars, writing a review. It only takes a few minutes. And uh, by doing all those things, it will help propel the podcast into the tops of the iTunes charts, which uh, will make it more nationally and internationally visible and help strangers find the podcast. And it's a uh, free way to contribute to the sustainability of this thing. So if you've got a few minutes, please take the time to do so. Can't stress the importance of it enough. And I really appreciate all the people that have already taken the time to do so. You can also check out the Dan Cable Presents YouTube channel, which uh, features a bunch of in-studio performances as well as live show performances. And uh, you can subscribe there to uh, find out when new videos hit the, the feed. Most recent videos up there, the Strange Hotels, live from the Doug Fur. There's a few videos from them shredding it up there, as well as the Autonomics ones. And the uh, the Gold Casio ones are uh, yet to be released, but uh, stay tuned for those. Stoked to uh, share those with everybody as well. And uh, DanCablePresents.com, that's the uh, central location to, uh, to find everything going on. At DanCablePresents on Instagram is the spot to follow and where I am most active shouting out shows here in Portland, Oregon, or just uh, sharing tunes I'm listening to or uh, clips from the uh, most recent episodes. So that is uh, all that. Episode 175. Is that where we're at? 175 coming at you. We're keeping it uh, it going with the the jazz theme for the month of August in celebration of this Montevilla Jazz Festival. And uh, on the program this week for 175 is uh, Ian Christensen, killer saxophone player, and uh, had a fun hang with this dude over at the library. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, just another great conversation, diving into uh, what what uh, triggers somebody into the the jazz world and um, just the uh, appreciation of uh, of that music and whatnot. So it was fun to talk to Ian and uh, get the perspective of of a horn player. I love the horns. I'm into the horns. So uh, yeah, it was cool to cool to talk to to Ian about his uh, his tunes and we feature a few jams in the episode from uh, from his. His first solo record, which came out in uh, 2016. So we'll get into some of that throughout the episode. But uh, Ian's going to be playing at that Montevilla Jazz Festival. And he's playing Sunday. I think he plays at 2.50. So Sunday on the 18th, Montevilla Jazz Festival. That is going on. And uh, there's also Saturday 
for the for the jazz festival that's day one so august 17th and uh 18th over there in the montevilla neighborhood of southeast portland and i will put all the links in the episode notes if you want to learn more about that how to get tickets and uh all that jazz no pun intended huh you like that no you don't like that that was terrible i don't even know jesus really off to a start here really off to a start i'll tell you it's been a week it has been a week it's been emotionally draining week but uh coming out the other side of it coming out the other side of it uh last week i did mention that uh this year's pickathon unfortunately closed out with uh, a couple members of the crew um the guildworks crew who puts together the stage design and the big tents that go over the main stage and uh there was a, a terrible accident and uh, a couple members of the crew passed away and um a big bummer for the for the pickathon family and uh of course the uh the family and friends of uh of the folks who who passed but uh, I just wanted to shout out and uh, that there is a, a GoFundMe for these folks. And I'm going to put that link in the episode notes as well for uh, Brad Sweat and, and Brandon Blackmore. Um, yeah, it's just a super, super rough, rough way to end that festival. But uh, cool to see so many people coming together to, uh, to help fund this thing. Um, just in uh i don't even think this has been up a week and uh they've already raised over thirty-two thousand dollars. so if you'd like to contribute anything to that i will put the link there in the episode notes and uh, on, a, on a brighter note i just want to thank uh the entire the pickathon crew that uh that invited me to come out again but also to the uh the film crew uh, that I worked with for the whole weekend, shooting all the interviews that we were out there doing. I uh, just want to have uh, a big thanks for them. They were uh, super kind people once again and uh, just go out of their way to, to take care of everything. And uh, it's really cool. It's sometimes uncomfortable to kind of show up to something and, and uh, not be needed to do anything except kind of show up and to do the thing usually when i'm doing this i'm uh you know kind of doing it on my own and setting everything up and making sure everything is uh everything is good but uh yeah you go out to uh something like this and there's an entire crew and i just get to be i just get to be the guy that talks to the bands and and uh and host the interview so it's a it's a pretty cool setup i feel very fortunate for it and uh yeah i just wanted to give a uh a shout out to all those folks that that worked with me this year we had a really good time hanging out in between uh in between interviews and and uh you know post day interviews and whatnot so um thank you to those folks and you know we got jazz we got more jazz this week couple jazz shows outside of the Montevilla Jazz Festival, 823, August 23rd at the library, basement of Growler's Tap Room. There is a uh, jazz show there. 
James Powers, who was mentioned in this episode, he plays uh, he plays in uh, in Frank Irwin's band, who will be on the podcast next week. So he's playing on August 23rd, and then August 24th is the Frank Irwin double album release show at Mississippi Pizza. It's going to be crazy. Brown Calculus is on the bill. And then there's also a bunch of beat sets going on that night as well, which is going to be really legit. Frank really, uh, he really stacked this thing out. Beat sets from our fellow, fellow Portland Pinecone alumni, Ben Martins. And then Alex and Alex Meltzer, who is uh, half of the Corgi and Bass duo and has been on this podcast several times. He'll be dropping a beat set, so that's killer. And then uh, Lee Moog and Neil Von Talley, who was on this podcast with Blossom many, many moons ago. So that's a really stacked thing going on at uh, Mississippi Pizza on August 24th, and you'll hear more about it next week when I have frank chris frank on the podcast but uh that is that one last thing august 28th i'm djing at church again and i'm uh i'm stoked to be back at church over there in northeast portland on sandy church bar um it's a wednesday night i'll be there like nine to one or nine to close and uh i'll be spinning a bunch of hip-hop and rapping and r&b and funk and soul music things of that nature but uh mostly rap and uh hip-hop and r&b that night and it's gonna be really dope had a uh, cool experience the first time around there so i'm uh excited to be uh making my return dj ernie moose johnson making his return to church the moose is loose on august 28th so uh yes come hang come hang out Come do that with me. But uh, we're going to get into this thing. We got uh, Montevilla Jazz Festival, August 17th and 18th. It's going on. It's going down this weekend. And uh, like I said, all the links be in the uh, episode notes. Ian Christensen's links will be there. The link for the Montevilla Jazz Festival. Uh, my links and also uh, that GoFundMe for the uh, the lost members of the Pickathon crew will all be up there so you can follow along and uh don't forget to leave your itunes reviews super important to uh keeping this thing rolling and and trying to uh get more sponsors on board regularly and uh you can also donate some shekels if you just want to donate some shekels buy some make mic cables whatever you know whatever needs to be uh funded here there's a donate button on the uh the website you can just you know feel free I'll use the dollars. I promise. I'll. I'll uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll just buy buy records with it. I. I honestly can't tell you what I'm gonna do. It. I might just buy a McGriddle. You know. Maybe I'll just take all the money and buy all the McGriddles. <laughs> all right. This thing is uh, off the rails. So we're gonna get into it. Episode 175. People, thank you for tuning into this thing. If you listen to this show regularly, um, can't believe we're 100. 100 175 episodes deep into this thing um i'm so stoked to uh to keep trucking along uh there's a lot of exciting uh episodes that i'm looking forward to for the month of september some of them i've already recorded so i am uh i'm stoked about that 
got some cool national touring acts coming up on the show but uh also stoked to keep diving into this jazz stuff man we got a couple more weeks of uh this celebration of jazz on the podcast and uh you know hopefully it'll be more commonly in the rotation but uh for now episode 175 with ian christensen we're gonna kick it off with uh the first track off of uh ian's record called finding and that uh the first track is called eight bars of poetry let's do the damn thing Thank you. 
to dive into this thing, Ian? Yes, I'm ready. Do the thing. I'm ready. I, I love this space down here, so I, I already feel very comfortable. It's like I'm getting ready for a gig or something. <laughs> and it's a space you've already been to. Yes. So it's a familiar space. I'm drinking kombucha. It's very good. <laughs> it's a good time. Um, yeah, this library space is, is very cool. I'm, I feel it's it's uh it's become kind of a, a home base to to doing these things oh nice because i have the the mobile setup so i'm happy to go to people's houses when they mm-hmm. want or if someone lives out my way to just yeah, have them yeah, over yeah. but it's uh it's been cool having this space to have people too it mm-hmm. definitely has has a vibe yeah um yeah. but yeah man i'm stoked to have you on the on the cast on the thing um we were just chatting a second ago, and and I know you through Chris Frank. Yeah, and seeing the Frank Irwin Quintet is is yeah. my uh, my first exposure to seeing you play music. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I've enjoyed those sets a lot. Yeah, that, that band seems to be pretty cool. Yeah, I've you know, I don't know. I just like his writing. You know, it's. Uh, I think he's a good band leader. He he writes good stuff and prepares for it, but it's never like I feel like he's never stressing and that's what you know I don't know, it feels it feels easy to be in that band in the music school. So I kinda take some cues from that for sure. Recently. I mean I haven't been playing with him that long, but it took me a while to like I didn't really know Chris and then like I felt like I was at first like he was just like, Yo, I want to like have you play some of the music and I was like, Okay, cool, like I hadn't really heard much of it and I just was I don't know I'm kind of I feel like I'm a little hard to get a hold of sometimes <laughs> and then I and then I finally like made the commitment and then I was just like stoked on it ever since yeah it's I don't know that that group of of the the regular group that seems to be playing with James and and it's Andrew on on drums Alexander Alexander yeah yeah and uh when Corey's around mm-hmm. the professor <laughs> the professor dude he goes into a into like a i feel like he almost blacks out and it's just like shredding so hard like you'll just see him like really go in yeah Corey's wild great. Yeah. and i've i've had i've had the opportunity to see that band play with and without him and f- even for as much as Corey adds it's it's always cool to see a band kind of perform in in different circumstances yeah and see how yeah. it vibes that way and mm-hmm. i don't know it just seems to work work well yeah that was a that was here that we played that one gig with no um guitar yeah and i mean that's what i'm doing for the festival is uh for the montevilla jazz festival for I'm, your set for my set i'm doing i'm doing four horns and we can talk about that in a second but yeah it's absolutely. like without without a guitar you it's just very different you know you can go different directions and you know it's a little more open but it's also harder in some ways you know, without a chord behind you, you have to kind of outline the harmony in a different way. I would imagine having like four horns helps. Yeah, yeah, helps we can do that. We can kind of interact and do different things. So, yeah. So, when did you start playing music, man? When did I start? Well, I started. Gosh, I started taking piano lessons at a pretty young age. And that was always fun, but I didn't really like, it was just sort of like show up and like play the piano. And I wasn't like that into it back then. 
like you wouldn't go home after your lesson and go play some more keys yeah i wasn't like i wasn't like inspired by it really um but i mean it it got me reading you know music which is good and understanding you know seeing the piano and seeing where things lay that's always helped me um but i started playing the saxophone in um gosh i think it was fifth grade i um was supposed to play trombone in band but um and the guy who was doing the band was like a trombone guy so (laughs) and i don't know i just kind of i like trombone a lot james plays trombone but i um I, i didn't wasn't really wanting to do that so i picked saxophone instead and um I don't know. I just, I just remember band being like kind of interesting and fun, like from the get go. Like, I don't know, just playing, playing with the whole ensemble and like hearing my part in relation to other parts was always really cool. You know, yeah. I don't know. And it just, it honestly, maybe because of my piano stuff, it like reading music and, and reading rhythms at first came pretty easily. And then. Yeah, I had a good band director, you know. This is like junior high? Yeah, junior high. Had a good band director, Mr. Rust. I think he teaches at, at Sunset High School now, Chris Rust. This is this is uh, in the Portland area? Yeah. Did you grow up? Yeah, I, I grew up in Southwest, so okay. it was at, at Riverdale grade okay. school. Um, and, then, and then I got a really good teacher, this dude Tim Bryson, who's a local player. He plays... Um, Gosh, I don't remember. Who, I mean, he plays, I think, Soul Vaccination. He plays in that band. And, like, he's, I would say he's the most active in, like, horn sections and, like, R&B stuff and soul and funk. But he's a great jazz player, too. And he was just, like, such a cool cat. Like, <laughs> I just got the vibe from him. And he, I don't know, he just started showing me stuff. You know, I remember learning scales from him and stuff like that, you know. But it was more about, like, showing me, like, Sonny Rollins and Dexter Gordon and all these, like, saxophone players that I... Or, you know, I had heard of John Coltrane because my dad listened to Coltrane a bit. But just hearing Thelonious Monk or any of these, you know, just getting exposed to, like, classic jazz stuff through him. Yeah, getting your your education. Yeah. And I was lucky to get it pretty early through him and then a series of other great teachers in Portland. This is, like... Like high school then? Yeah, after, middle starting okay. like late middle school and then through high school. Um, just like there being a lot of good players here and, and good teachers. I just kind of got immersed in it. Yeah, did you, uh, did you immediately like playing the saxophone? Because I know you said you wanted to play trombone. Or I, I, I didn't want to play trombone. Or you didn't want to. <laughs> but I chose saxophone. Yeah. Now, now I'm like, oh, man, trombone's cool too. But um but did you take to the sax? I was it was quickly? more like it was it was easy and in some ways I took to it. I wasn't like a great practicer and I wasn't like up until probably high school I was like it was fun but it wasn't like you know I don't know it was more like I was playing sports and shit too. Okay. Like I did a lot of like baseball and football and shit and like so I felt like for a while that was more my jam but like saxophone was cool too. And then when I got to high school, I, I like, I don't know. I just got more into the vibe of music and jazz. And um, 
I don't know, it just sort of took over and I just sort of saw what it could be, you know, for me. Yeah, did you ta- uh, kind of stop taking the the sports thing so seriously or kind of taper off on, yeah. on playing in high school? Yeah, I did. I just didn't have time for both, you know. Um, I mean, I still follow sports a lot and still play pickup basketball and whatnot, you know. I, I like to do that still. But, yeah, I just, you know, started playing music more after school, you know, in different, like, bands and, you know, practicing and just having that be kind of my focus, you know. I was just, just from listening to jazz and wanting to, you know, be like my heroes that I liked on saxophone. Yeah, and once you started getting exposed to those records, like the Sonny Rollins records that, you know, dude mm-hmm. was showing you, were you, was that like the trigger in and kind of like, man, this is all I'm kind of listening to and, and really trying to immerse myself in this this thing? Yeah, yeah, it was... I don't know, there was just like a, a magic to, you know, jazz that I kind of picked up on. You know, the improvising and just like having, I mean, it's just like a singer or any musician, you know, having a voice on the instrument. But like with jazz, it was like, you know, they would have a sound on the instrument, but then they'd have like a vocabulary and just like a way they interacted with the other musicians. And I thought that was so cool. I don't know. And just like the, the energy of jazz too, you know, like swinging, like real hard up-tempo stuff, just like the excitement of that and excitement of different grooves. I just felt that more than any other music. I mean, not more than any other music, you know, but with jazz, there was just like a, like a spark that I got, you know? Yeah. from those records and from hearing and from hearing local people too you know hearing people like alan jones or you know renato caranto or john Stoll, all these you know mel brown all these people that were like playing the authentic jazz music and it's like you know taking chances and you know going hard for some like interesting stuff i don't know it just the whole vibe of it was it was just like i got sucked in you know yeah, did did you uh were you going to jazz shows yet in I, high school or was there accessibility for something yeah, like you, that? Yeah, I mean you could you could go a lot of places, you know, Jimmy Max, you could go um until gosh, it was like 9:30 or something and Mel had like, you know, three or four gigs a week there with some of the best people in town, so you know, I would go Tuesday nights to see Mel Brown Septet with and that was cool because it was like there was like four horns, you know, they were playing like the kind of post bop, like Art Blakey, Cedar Walton, Horace Silver kind of shit where it's like funky, cool melodies and like interesting arrangements. So, yeah. And I knew all the horn players in that and I got to sit in with them eventually and like learn from that. But it was also just so cool to hear them and hear the energy they would bring, you know, I feel like, that's the more I think back on and I just listen to records now it's like that's what that's what I I you know love about it it's just like the energy you know yeah dude I I mean that's um I I talked to to Neil Madsen and Mm -hmm. and Ryan Marr Uh um you know the last couple weeks just about 
kind of my dive into jazz and and how yeah. that's kind of happened just like the last six or seven years or so where i've okay, started yeah. kind of building my own collection and 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 finding things but uh that's uh one of the things that turned me on early to those those jazz records is when you can hear them just kind of yelling in the back when something really amazing happens or sure, just grunting sure, sure. And, and just that that energy and being able to to hear that stuff in the recordings of um just how excited they're getting and i think that's that's one of the things that that draws me into jazz of, of watching it or listening on the record but specifically watching a band perform something and mm-hmm when you see the other players get excited about what that person just played because they've never heard it before. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. It's easy to, I don't know, for me, it's easy to take that for granted. You know, I don't, I don't like go deep dive into what, you know, I just, I'm just like, oh, I'm a jazz musician. I like jazz, you know, but like to really think about it and be like, yeah, you know, you're you're spontaneously creating stuff. You know, you're creating a new composition and you're showcasing you know your your talents and you're trying to create on the spot you know in so many ways you know rhythmically you know interesting harmony interacting or melody it's all that stuff coming together and all at once you know god this kombucha's the burps it's got you gassy (laughs) (laughs) effervescence is good but yeah, I know it's like, you know, the more I think about it, there's just so much going on in a jazz song, you know? Yeah, that's why it's so engaging. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, moving and, you know, um, you're just layering stuff on top of other stuff. <laughs> you mentioned... <laughs> stuff a lot. <laughs> you mentioned uh, in high school... You know, after school, starting to like playing bands and stuff. Mm-hmm. Was it all jazz, or were you also the guy who played horns in people's like ska bands and and you know punk bands and and, and things of that nature as well, or was it just I, all I, jazz? I played in I played in one like ska like white boy like reggae band like kind of like a sublime sort of deal. Yeah, and that was fun. And I jammed with friends that were in were more like rock bands and you know um i didn't really play i listened to a lot of hip-hop and i had friends who were rappers and stuff but i didn't really i wasn't like in any bands doing that but it was mostly jazz you know because i would you know i'd be front and center you know i'm doing more other kinds of music now i'd say but i still i still like to play in rock bands and play you know backup lines and you know or being like a ska band, reggae band. So I was doing a bit of that in high school, but mostly jazz, you know. I was like a band kid kind of vibe. <laughs> when, you, when you were able to kind of see all these great players like like Mel Brown around you mm-hmm. playing in these clubs, did that kind of make it a tangible thing for you that you could be a jazz musician or, or pursue this, um, you know, further than just playing in the high school jazz band and, and things of that nature? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was that, you know, seeing these people and then, you know, studying with them and learning from them either at the gig or, or you know, private lessons. Just kind of, you know, 
being given the steps, you know, learning the repertoire, learning, you know, different things as a, as a soloist or getting your, just getting my, my shit together, you know, like I learned what it takes to get to that level. And then, and then I, and then I knew some other older musicians too in town who were not like, I would say older peers more like who were in college when I was in high school and kind of seeing where they played and like how they started to build their careers. You know, it was just sort of like, I feel like I got kind of thrown in, you know, just, sur I just surrounded myself with the people that were doing it and it just kind of, you know, I just sort of took to it, you know, and it always, it felt attainable because I, you know, was trying to do the work and trying to play with people. And, you know, the next step is, all right, get a gig or something, you know? And it's, I would imagine it's like pretty cut and dry sometimes whether somebody can play or not play when, when you get the gig for something or, or that yeah. audition or whatever. It's either you can do it or you can't do it. It's hard to fake it. Right. I mean, yeah, it, it just, yeah, there's just like a certain, I don't know. It's kind of like in the jazz community, you just sort of like people just kind of come together and like people at the at similar levels like find each other you know because there's jam sessions and stuff like that you just sort of hear the players that you want to play with you know it's kind of like a word of mouth thing in each city or you know so that's what's also cool about it it's just such a community um and you just sort of like you know start playing you know playing sessions is really important and that's just like jamming you know just like getting to know different musicians just kind of showing up somewhere. Yeah, or just somebody will have it at their house and just playing tunes. Or, you know, jam sessions as well. You know, formal jam sessions. Yeah. Um, just a good way to find chemistry with other players and who, yeah. who might be worth investing your time into exploring some other things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was... I just kind of learned that process early, just like going out and like hearing new musicians and being like, all right, cool, like I want to play with this cat, you know. And uh, just asking, you know, just getting them to do a jam with you and just, it's just kind of like building those relationships over time. You know, that's how I met most of the people in my band, you know, either just through hearing them with someone else and then just, you know, getting acquainted and like, I, oh, I like their playing. Like, I, you know, I want to put together a band like, you know, it's just the different personalities. It's just so interesting, you know? Yeah. And I would admit, I mean, and even if you don't want, you know, to play with those people, I'm sure you're you're always kind of picking up on how another saxophone player is playing or something, and, oh, and totally. what you can kind of learn from from them. Yeah, even if it's like a a style that I'm not especially drawn to, or just, you know, I always want to know how people are playing and you know what they're doing, and you know, I ask, I get asked to do random things that I can't do. You know, I have to, you know, I want to recommend my friends you know sometimes i can't make a gig or sometimes i don't want to do a gig you know more selective about the things i you know um say yes to sometimes so yeah so if you know all these other players that you respect you can kind of maybe pass that their way or yeah exactly yeah you know i know this person blah 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 you know so after uh after high school you go to you go to school in New York? Is that yep. correct? I did. Yep. That was um 
that was eye opening too. I mean, I that was a that was a different time. I mean, I went I went to the New School, which is a great jazz program. Um, it's right in you know uh, Greenwich Village in Manhattan, and it's just there's a lot of really great teachers there. You know that have a lot to pass on, and um, you know, and so it was you know learning from some of the teachers i mean like reggie workman was there who played with wayne shorter and and john coltrane and all these on these records you know lee morgan's records he was there andrew surreal who played with cecil taylor all these people who are like legendary and some other lesser known people who are really great teachers so there was a lot of a lot of resources there and a lot of other awesome students that i learned a lot from and you know made really lifelong friends with you know um and there was a time there where i was kind of like man like i got kind of disillusioned with you know modern jazz and the jazz scene and like you know oh i don't want to be like an you know you know regular jazz musician who like is trying to build their career and blah, blah, blah. I felt like it was kind of a selfish pursuit for a second there. I don't know. I think I had to go through some kind of process of being like rebelling against it and like, screw it, I'm only gonna listen to like free jazz and like experimental stuff and rock and like, <laughs> it was like a weird rebellion against the <laughs> the status quo of jazz. Were you Were you pretty comfortable right when you got there or was there a level of intimidation with all these teachers or did you kind of feel like you had prepped yourself really well and surrounded yourself with the, a group of folks that had kind of like prepared you for this next step? Well, um, it felt like it was pretty easy just to meet people there, you know, like I felt intimidated a bit, but I had already, it's like I already knew some of the people just from hearing them play even in high school you know, and um, some of the other students, I mean. And I don't know. I just sort of, you know, I felt like I belonged there, you know, like I had that level of commitment and I was surrounded by all the same kinds of people who were like, listened to the same records and were like, you know, even if they were from Israel or, you know, Korea or Germany, there was a pretty diverse, like, student body there too, which was cool. But, um I don't know. I just felt like it was, it was the place to be, you know, like just getting to play all the time and, and, uh, you know, be around students that inspired me and teachers that inspired me, you know, it just, that just helped me up my game. Cause I was kind of felt like there's a fire under my ass a little bit, you know, but I was intimidated at first, but it was a pretty easy transition, you know? And it was just a lot of, like, just hanging and meeting people outside of the school, too, you know? Because the new school has, like, a bunch of different... There's, like, a design school and, like, um, there's, like, a liberal arts college and all this other stuff. So I met, you know, people who were doing other kinds of programs. So it was just, like, in some ways it was, like, a normal college experience, like, being in the dorms and stuff. But... Um, it's a little different, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you're obviously around a lot of people you know, pursuing uh, things in the art world. Yeah. So lots of 
you know, just like you're saying, just like a lot of inspiring people around you or people doing a lot of cool shit or trying things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's, I don't know, that's, to this day, that's exciting to be around, you know, to go see a band play that makes you want to go home and and bang on your instrument or like, or create something yourself or, you know. Yeah, just, yeah, I mean, I, I had, you know, friends and friends of friends who were in bands that just totally blew my mind and, you know, playing all kinds of, you know, jazz or like, you know, avant-garde music or, you know, a rock band or like hip hop or it's just like all like such stimulating stuff all the time, you know, and uh, not to mention, you know, just hanging with people and, and like hearing about new records or reading stuff. It was just like a very fertile environment, you know? Yeah. And I would imagine you come out of that just, uh, I don't know, with a, like a lot of confidence to be able to kind of survive in that that scene and that yeah. level of musicianship. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, I feel like, like that, like being able to survive in that world, but also it was just a learning experience of like what I really wanted to do with the music. And that's, you know... I don't know, like a lot of different things, writing original music, playing, still playing like jazz standards and just, I don't know, it was just, I just sort of felt like I added to my personality from being there, you know, just got a lot of different new influences and, you know, just, you know, wanted to create more, you know? Yeah, and I would imagine you're just getting exposed to a bunch of different music like records yeah, and stuff yeah, that for sure that everybody around you is showing each other mm-hmm. their favorite records and and whatnot yeah. yeah just hanging talking music and you know just and living in new york just on its own was just a trip too yeah what's uh what are like some monumental jazz records for you monumental jazz records i mean or, some of the some of the big ones you know um you know some of the obvious ones like a love supreme or like you know kind of blue those ones still stand up you know i would say um one that i just completely wore out all the time was was the bridge sunny rollins record i just listened to that so much because I just liked that point in his career in like the early 60s when he was going a little bit farther out with his style. And um, it's a really good band on that record. So that one I just I listened to a lot. Um, you know, as far as Ornette Coleman goes, you know, one of my favorite improvisers. So, you know, Shape of Jazz to Come, Change of, Change of the Century is a really great one. I mean, I just like his, his band so much because it's just there's like a folk influence and there's a blues influence, but it's still jazz. You know, it's not, and there's, and he does the thing with just bass and drums and two horns. So it's kind of like, I don't know, it's real, real stripped down and kind of like, you can really get into the, the essence of the music, you know? And it's not fancy. It's not, you know, ornamented, but it's like, I don't know. It's just like real down home. You know, he's from Texas and shit. Like it's yeah. just like bluesy, you know. And to be able to create like the blues without a guitar, yeah, is, yeah. is pretty wild. 
I mean, I know they all like love to listen to blues music and they just kind of got that in their sounds. Um, yeah, so I mean, records like that. Um, but I mean, there's like some newer stuff that, you know, I would always love hearing um, the drummer Billy Hart. You know, he's he's a, he's an older cat, but he has, you know, quartet with uh, Mark Turner and Ben Street and Ethan Iverson. I always liked that band because they would kind of, they're doing some kind of interesting like inside outside sort of stuff like they're like playing conventional jazz but like kind of on, turned on its head um and i love one of my big influences is is also paul motion the drummer who played for a long time with bill evans to start but then kind of branched off and did like a, a little more kind of free form stuff um i mean he wrote compositions but like they're real open to interpretation by the band. Yeah, so it's still like pretty easy for you to be influenced by by a non horn player when you're oh, listening. Yeah, yeah, totally. Just from like you know, compositional standpoint and just the vibe of the music. You know, I you know, I love piano players, you know. I love Keith Jarrett and Man, um, that that live and cone record, that was one of my Oh yeah. That's like one of my first jazz records and i love that thing is amazing man yeah yeah i have i have yet to i've heard that one a little bit i'm i love his like all the trio stuff and like the standards trio and then the earlier like the quartet stuff but like i feel like i haven't dove into like his solo stuff as much yeah i don't know it's just kind of crazy i i yeah i I just hadn't really ever listened to it so much like solo piano jazz or Mm -hmm. anything like that before Mm -hmm. and uh just to hear this this dude rip on the piano and and it's yes it's the energy thing that we were talking about earlier it's you know it's that that live feel especially on that record yeah it's just like oh this is this is so cool yeah there's an electricity i mean whenever he touches the piano i feel like you know say what you want about the dude being kind of like up his own ass sometimes like he is that his it, reputation a i bit? mean yeah he's god i mean there's the time where he like screamed at the audience for like taking pictures and he's just kind of like <laughs> he's that guy yeah he's that guy but i don't know for good reason i feel like he like he's so serious not serious like like oh boring serious but like he's just like he's so committed to the music that he like you know wants everything to be perfect i don't know He's got such a good touch, man. That's what interests me about piano players. It's like the touch is so different, you know, each time. Yeah. Every player is so different. For sure. And the I guess, uh, I mean, with a lot of instruments, but same thing with like the drums. You oh, know, totally. Watching somebody's feel and, and touch on the kit. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever, uh, did you ever or do you ever fuck around with the keys anymore? Did you ever kind of go back um, to it to see yeah i mean i wrote i write music on piano um and i in some ways when i'm not you know feeling like practicing saxophone it's like when i sit down at the piano it's like a little more freeing you know it's like i'm not like oh i need to like get this technical thing together it's like piano i'm just like exploring sounds you know so i like to do that and like obviously with the piano you know 
you have more than one you know it's a polyphonic instrument so it's like saxophone it's hard to like you're just practicing your one line you know but like if you want to hear like obviously if you want to hear more than one note together it's like you gotta go somewhere else for that so i do i do play piano just to like hear different chords and write music and i don't know there was a time a couple years ago where i was like oh man maybe i'll like start a band and like play keys in it and like i still might but like um i don't know so yes i i do like playing piano but you find that it's pretty common amongst jazz musicians to be just devoted to one instrument and there's not like a lot of jumping on other instruments yeah i mean I don't know. I would I would honestly say that it's it depends. Like if you're a piano player, you just kind of have to focus on that. Like if number one, but like if you're a horn player or like a drummer or something, usually they pick up other instruments. I feel like it's and like for teaching purposes, I know a lot of people play a lot of different things. Yeah. Um but I feel like that's I would say maybe not. It's it's, you know, People like to do different things. And, you know, that's kind of the nature, I would say, of the musicians that I know are, like, curious about different sounds and about how things work on different instruments. And um, I don't know. Just like, oh, I like that sound. You know, it's just experimenting, you know? Yeah, but, like, does your knowledge of, of playing the saxophone do anything like if you pick up another horn um if it's another saxophone well i mean that's obvious but um i would say not really like if i i mean i've tried to play the trumpet and stuff and it's like god that's so hard like if you think saxophone is hard it's like trumpet is just like a (laughs) nightmare (laughs) or trombone i haven't even played a trombone really um I feel like my knowledge of music helps, you know, and I feel like I've learned a lot more. Like if I only played saxophone and didn't mess around with and play piano, like I think I, I'd be not as good of a musician, you know, like I feel like my knowledge of music and my ear in general can allow me to mess around with other instruments, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I, you know, my saxophone playing helps me on flute or clarinet because they're similar. But um, even then, I don't really play those as much. And and uh, do you play a bunch of different saxophones? Like I mostly just play tenor and alto. Okay. Uh, I had a soprano for a while, but um, it wasn't such a great horn. And it really, once you get up to a soprano, I feel like, you have to be like really good and dedicated or else it's going to kind of sound like shit. Like, <laughs> like it can be real whiny. And, you know, I know people that are really dedicated to the soprano and it's like, that wasn't really the sound I was going for, you know? Yeah. For um, sure. I mean, I, I love this dude, Steve Lacey. He's one of my favorite musicians. Soprano, soprano saxophonist only actually. And he, he was great. He played with Thelonious Monk and he had some really interesting bands over the years, but he just had a really nice warm sound on the instrument and I was never able to really get that kind of sound. Um, so yeah, mostly alto and tenor and 
I've been trying to play clarinet more, but haven't stuck with it that much. <laughs> Don't have the time. <laughs> right on, man. Well, let's uh, let's jump into another track from your your finding record that you All put right. out a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna get into this L and W track. Oh, nice. Yeah, that one was written kind of um, about my my love for Lee Konitz and Warren Marsh. So here it is, L and W.
when did you uh when did you start wanting to write your own music um in high school actually um so i had a um a lot of friends in high school that played music and were serious about it one of my good friends grant richards who's a great pianist now living in new york he he was like you know prodigy like he he played you know gigs when he's like 15 16 around town sounded great like really early um and he started writing music real early and i just had friends that did it and i listened to jazz records that had original compositions and it just sort of like i don't know it just sort of called to me to like you know try to do that you know just try to like it wasn't supernatural at first and i think maybe like a teacher like had me do it or something but i just sort of tried it and it was fun you know you can just kind of you have complete control over the way things are going and like i don't know just the freedom of making different decisions with the music and like turning something on its head or i don't know that's it's really fun you know <laughs> that that collection of tunes on finding mm-hmm. is that was that like a first official release of tunes for you yeah yeah those are um that was a that was my first record my only only solo record of my own um and that was some of them are mine some of them are also ryan mars and andrew jones wrote a couple um and that was like i don't know it was like i had played with all those cats around town and i really liked what we were doing so i was i kind of just like wanted to document it and sort of see what happens you know i'd never made a record and i was like i feel like i have something you know worth putting out there and uh it was just like another thing that like I felt like it would be an accomplishment and like I wanted to document this music. So, and it wasn't just like, Oh, I wanted to check this box off. You know, it was like music that I really cared about and, you know, was having fun playing. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine after playing that long, if you're finally going to put something out that you're going to, you're going to make it stuff that you, that you really dig and, and stand behind. <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Not just whatever. Yeah. I mean, I like the idea of just recording, you know, a one-off gig. Some of my favorite records are just, you know, live records. So. Yeah. Um, I know you, you talked about using the piano as a writing tool. Mm-hmm. So like what, what does composition look like for you when you're the band leader and, and writing a tune? Um, depends on the ensemble, I would say, but mostly, um, I kind of like for this, for this last batch of music that I'm doing at the, at the Montevilla festival, I, I just kind of would hear, you know, hear something in my head and kind of go with it, you know, whether it be like a horn line or like a bass line. You know, it's more just like I'll kind of go into like a space and just be like trying to hear it in my head more than on the piano. And then you're like charting shit out then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I just had a friend tell me that he he relayed this from a great drummer and composer John Holland back. He was he told my friend to like not write on piano because he's like it's not your main instrument. You don't have like all the facility that you know it can limit what you're doing compositionally. I thought that was an interesting idea. It's like if you don't have that much facility on piano. I I just had a a conversation with uh, I don't know a few weeks ago, a few episodes back uh-huh. uh, with this producer Sir Nye, uh-huh. and he was talking to me about how he wanted to, how he wants to have some general understanding of every instrument, pretty much, mm. so that he knows how to properly place, you know, like. Yeah, when he's producing, it's it's like oh this ba- like you can put a baseline wherever you want, mm-hmm. but where does it actually go or or some you know just having that knowledge of how would this actually be played and not you know just the same thing you're kind of talking about is yeah just like a deeper those facilities you know? yeah deeper understanding of the way things work yeah um but yeah as far as like composing I don't know it's like. All that being said, I, I, you know, do use the piano to kind of mess around with harmonies and, you know, I think most of the time I try to write, you know, the melody first because that's going to be like, you know, I don't really write for, um, I don't write lyrics. I've only done it like once or twice. It's hard. (laughs) Lyrics are hard. But um, I just, you know, try to write the melody first. And then, you know, kind of wherever my ear takes me. And then, um, you know, try to put not always a bass line under it. You know, I'll just write chords under it and the bass player will kind of interpret them. But sometimes a bass line, you know. Um, so it just kind of depends what the what the melody calls for, you know, or the groove. Sometimes I'll start with a groove and then, you know, write a melody over it. It's usually the melody first, though. And, and then, then is there like a lot of room for uh for I don't know for for changing things up after you know that original composition is it just kind of about getting it in the room after that and seeing what it actually feels like Yeah yeah and just you know writing for for jazz players and stuff you know I um you know it's about you know I just want to get the cats in there and, and you know kind of like let them do to it what they want you know like you know it's like it's not just a template but it's kind of like that you know I want I want to ha- see how it goes with the, the musicians interpreting it so yeah it's about getting it in the room and kind of working with it you know yeah and, and you're obviously banking on your you're picking the players that you know are going to serve the song and yeah yeah exactly and and do the right things with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then when you go into a recording session for something like Finding, mm-hmm. is there a lot of impro- improvisation that happens within the actual recordings of those of those tunes? Yeah, I mean, you know, all the songs on that record, there's you know solos, you know, after the melody or. Or there's, you know, people interacting underneath the melody. So, yeah, there is a lot of, you know, there's room for solos and room for group improvisation. So, yeah, there is. I mean, that's how the 
you know, that's how the tunes kind of, I ha- save room for that, you know. I'll have like a general melody, you know, some stuff written, and then it's like, okay, go and improvise. <laughs> yeah, this is where we open it up and exactly. see what happens. Yeah. So there's still like those moments on the record when you go listen back and like, oh, I can't believe they played this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. There's, I think there's some exciting interaction on that record. And, you know, that's what I'm trying for anytime I play or record, you know? Are you more comfortable as a band leader than as just a player in the band or vice versa? Hmm. I feel like I'm probably more comfortable as just a person, as like a sideman um, in the band, just because I feel like I'm put less pressure on myself. You know, I'm just there to play and interpret someone else's music. Um, but I don't know. It's different. You know, when you lead a band, it's like you kind of have a little more, you know, control and just kind of like ability to shape the music. So I like that. I feel like at this point in my life, I, I just like playing other people's music a lot too. <laughs> it's yeah. just nice to show up and just, you know, like interpret that and just be a part of something, you know? Yeah. And leading a band is so different than that, you know? You have to be the uh, the reliable, confident one. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that you actually face know what's the, happening. Face of the operation. <laughs> blind leading the blind up here. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> what it is. But uh, with the with the new collection of tunes that you're playing and the ones that you're gonna be playing at the jazz fest, this is like a much different feel than not not having a guitar and just having like a, a four piece horn section. Yeah, well, it's I don't know how I don't even know if it's that different musically. It's like a lot of you know kind of simple open songs, a lot of room for improvisation. But I mean, there's a little more writing involved because. I want, you know, I was kind of trying to highlight the sound of four horns together, you know, like, like, I just like, you know, brass bands and bands that have, you know, I just like the sound of, you know, like a bunch of wind instruments playing together. I don't know. And like, you know, I just thought that would be, I've always wanted to do that. Um, <clears throat> I was like, oh, if I get a chance to write for a little bigger ensemble be really fun you know there's just more room for weird um interactions and um you know more room for the interesting harmonies and 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 cool stuff to happen yeah just kind of tapping into a different different level of creativity yeah yeah different level of creativity different sound and like back back again to like the energy thing i don't know with like you know all acoustic instruments it's just like it can be such a cool vibe you know it's like very very uh um i don't even know what to say like very it like breathes you know because everybody's playing a wind instrument <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah for sure um <clears throat> have you ever do you do any teaching or is that anything something that's I, I have a little bit um it's not really my thing my main jam but it's it's interesting you know to try to find you know what um inspires a student and you know try to i always thought it was interesting to try to balance you know building up someone's technical ability 
and after this is like saxophone i've only really taught saxophone so building up their technical ability but also like inspiring like a sense of just playing you know and just like having fun with it because you know if you're not if you if you're not having fun with it it's not going to be that interesting <laughs> yeah for the for the player you know definitely and like trying to figure out okay what you know what motivates you what do you like what drew you to do this you know sometimes it's like just an activity for a kid you know yeah but or their parents want them to be there yeah but a lot of times you know the the last couple of students i've had it's just like they've always had you know you know talked about some song or like some you know saxophone player that they liked you know so people are aware of it <laughs> yeah i was just curious i know a lot of a lot of jazz musicians seem to end up in the in the teaching game at oh, some yeah, point. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, it's because of the, the education that you get as as a jazz player. Yeah, yeah, and it's just wanting to pass it on and, you know. And there's just a lot. It's really hard to learn on your own <laughs> in the music, you know. Some people can be self-taught, but, like, as far as, yeah, just, like, learning all the aspects of jazz and interpreting the music, it helps to have a teacher. <laughs> Does the the freedom of jazz make it difficult for you to play other types of music or or has it you know <clears throat> at any point I would say no um I mean um I I like to play other music but I you know I want there to be some room for improvising you know and and interpretation but it is kind of it's kind of nice to play you know just music where I'm not like you know improvising. I'm just kind of like playing a line and like trying to make it sound as good as possible, you know. Yeah. And just like focusing on making it sound really good and tight. For sure. But you know, I like I like to mess around with things, and you know, it's not always gonna be perfect, but like to add my little spice to it. <laughs> yeah. Do you dig like a lot of um, other instrumental music because of jazz? Yeah, I mean, you know, I love, you know, different producers, you know, Madlib, especially like one of my favorite producers. Um, like, you know, Jay Dilla, obviously, like cats who are really kind of coming from, a, I mean, all hip hop and stuff is coming out of jazz, you know, by way of you know r&b or funk but like that's it has such a huge um relation so yeah it's like why a band like bad bad not good is so cool exactly yeah <laughs> yeah they, they blur that line and bring yeah. all the cool elements of jazz and mix it in with the hip-hop and now with a bunch of different features and uh-huh yeah, uh-huh that shit's fun yeah i mean it's like that's why i like hip-hop too it's just like you can it's the same kind of swing with you know rhythmically and it's like the same kind of like a good swinging jazz beat is like you know same as like a good hip-hop beat um other instrumental music i mean i feel like i listen to music with vocals but like what gets me is like the like the harmony or the melodies yeah you know i always really loved elliot smith and his his like the way he writes chords was always really interesting to me you know um he's just a master of of chords or who else um tom waits i mean he's like kind of a jazz guy almost <laughs> it's like <laughs> he's like a weird blues guy yeah um 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a lot of jazz. Classical music, really love classical music, you know. Um, impressionist, kind of like Debussy, Ravel, older stuff, Beethoven, Brahms, you know. Just like the voice leading, that inspires me, the way the chords move and the way it's just like, there's so many ways to like go from one chord to another. Yeah. Um, so gotten yeah inspiration from all that stuff you know for sure and um i don't know when you're when you're writing yourself is there is there a visual aspect for you that you're like seeing hmm um or do you ever write to a visual of some sort to be inspired that way before and it's something i want to do more i would say no that i haven't done it recently but I feel like I want to. I feel like I end up writing. That's a good. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's like a. It's a really good tool to get yourself out of, like, maybe a rut or like just writing the same kind your of thing. Your own repetitive kind of nature. Yeah, for which sure. Which I think is you know it's it's good to be repetitive to have a vibe you know but like, yeah to like, just do different exercises. Break down a barrier. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm just always curious with the specifically the instrumental musicians or mm-hmm. the ones that are in that world more. Just I don't know. There seems to be a correlation sometimes between visual art and and the music or how it can inspire one another. Yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, they're both like in some ways like you know kind of abstract art forms. So you know you're kind of working with you know a more abstract idea as opposed to text that's explaining the idea so i mean you know you like man i remember in new york i would just always go to like the moma and check out stuff there and that was one one of the coolest parts of living in new york is just checking out new art too visual art and um yeah i mean it's i I was always it was just like trying to figure out the correlation between visual art and and music and um it's just interesting to kind of make those connections i i've actually a couple times done um uh music behind like silent films i had a friend who uh, in college did that he went to read well i met him at new school but then he came back and went to read and um we like wrote a piece like all together like watched this silent film um god i don't even remember the name it was based on a, a short story by uh gogol the Ital- italian russian <laughs> uh novelist and um yeah we like went through and like wrote um pieces to like accompany the film and, and that's I feel like that's something I want to do more is like film scoring. <laughs> I feel no, like that's cool, man. Uh, I I don't know. I think that's rad. Yeah, my I feel like because it's so interesting to think about. Like, do you want to like mimic the action on the screen, or do you want to like write something that's not? It's like supporting it, but it's not like you know. It's not like a crash when something happens, or like sad when right, sad right, things right. happening. You know you. You're trying to almost create another layer. 
Well, it's cool because it can completely shift the feel of like the visual. That you know? too. That too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, yeah. Obviously, film, film music is so, or or like lack of, you know, you know, a lot of silence, and then like this one little thing is in there, you know. Yeah, for sure. I got to go um, one night in L.A. I got to go to this uh, this John Williams thing, mm-hmm. like unreal composer of like all the indiana jones like a lot of the spielberg movies yeah yeah, yeah. And so like steven spielberg was there damn and <laughs> scorsese was there Whoa. and they all kind of talked about john williams and what he did for their movies and i remember spielberg talking about jaws and he uh-huh. said that like that robotic shark they had was such a piece of shit and <laughs> it's so stupid looking yeah that it, the only thing is scary about it is that 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 music that like yeah. John Williams created for it, uh-huh. that, you know, like the the iconic theme yeah. music to Jaws, and he was just talking about how like he gave the ocean teeth, you know, with mm. with the music. Wow, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, I don't know, always kind of infatuated with that that yeah. stuff, and even uh, I've been messing around doing some some digital jam DJ stuff, uh-huh. and it's like, oh, what am I gonna have? for visual stuff behind this and sometimes i'll just throw yeah. on like skate videos because they always have music yeah, yeah but yeah. you can it's it's just uh it's cool what kind of tunes you can kind of throw on that mm-hmm. and and it's still it still works it just has a completely different vibe yeah there's a man one of my favorite youtube videos i don't remember who shared this a couple years ago and i think it was made by this trombonist named Ben Gernstein, who's like a jazz and improvised music player. But it's like a series of like Michael Jordan highlights with like like some really intense like Coltrane quartet under it. <laughs> That's like awesome. Burn, like burning Coltrane with these MJ highlights. Oh, and dude. it's you should check it out. I'm it's gonna, fucking hip. It's I, so sick. I'm going to try to find that. It's so good. So, you if, know, just the, yeah, the fucking balls to the wall energy of both of those if i find that i will uh i will put that in the episode notes oh yeah along with all of the the links to your your music and for people to follow you and the the monta village jazz festival and yes. all that um have you played the festival before i have a couple times once with the pjce portland jazz composers ensemble yeah. uh did that last year with them um, that was a cool concert. And then a couple years back, I played with my quartet with um, Noah Bernstein and Andrew Jones and Jonas Oglesby. And that was really fun, too. That was playing some of the music off of Finding. So right on. that was like right around then when that record came out, something like that. But cool. So I've done it before, and it's, you know, I helped um, kind of um, put on the first one. I was I got kind of involved with some of the behind the scenes stuff the first year you and then know, they decided with, they didn't need your help yeah anymore after like, that this they're guy, like this guy you know what Ian? maybe you just come out and you play music this guy's too much of a flake <laughs> <No>. <laughs> got the artist temperament no but they work really hard at it and ryan and neil and aaron and um all of the cats there they just they bust their ass on it so yeah I'm and it's stoked. just such a it's such a comfortable vibe because it's like it's all just the musicians and people who love the music and you know it's just a great hang and there's always every year there's just like a ton of new projects because it's like you know they they just like invite lots of different people to play it's awesome yeah i'm stoked for it it's gonna be my first time 
Oh, nice. Cruising through, and I'm planning on going Sunday so I can oh, see, nice. uh, see your set. Yeah, it's going to be great. There on Sunday afternoon. 2.50 p.m. The, the <laughs> good good time on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be hot, but it'll be cool in there. So Ian and all the horns. Will Ian be and the there. horns. <laughs> um, cool, man. We're gonna we're gonna play it out with uh, a jam off that finding record called Heather. Nice, I like that one. I like that one quite a bit as well. Is that one of the ones that that you uh, mostly composed? Uh, no, it's actually a, a tune that Ryan wrote for okay. his wife. Beautiful tune. Beautiful tune for for a great lady, Heather Marr. She's awesome, and and uh, they're all great. <laughs> yeah. Check out Ryan Mars' episode of the podcast from last week. If uh, if you haven't done so already, cool chat with him. And uh, we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show, which is, uh, it's a program. So if we can get the Ian Christensen, it's a program, we can uh, properly okay. uh, sail this thing out. It's a program. He nailed it. He nailed it. Wow. You did it. Uh, thanks for hanging, nervous. man. Thanks for having me, Dan. I appreciate you uh, awesome. coming through and uh, and sharing stories about your uh, you know your musical journey and whatnot. I've been enjoying uh, diving into that Finding record. Yeah. And uh, Thanks, man. yeah, are you gonna are you gonna record some of this uh, the music that you're playing at the Jazz Fest? We'll see. Maybe. Um, I'll probably try to record. The sound guy there usually does recordings um, day of, so I might just get a live recording there and then see if I want to release it. Cool, you know, right on, so, dude. Well, like I said, yeah. I'll put all the I'll put all the links in the episode notes so people can uh, follow what you're doing and whatnot and find your record. Nice, thanks, dude. All right, man, that is the Jelly Jams. We're playing it out with uh, Heather off the uh, the Ian Christensen Finding Record, and uh, we will catch you on the flip side, Portland.
It's a program.